Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jew3 Project Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew3 Project. And today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Dr. Ryan Reeves. Welcome, Dr. Reeves. Thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> good to have you. For those who uh, haven't heard of you, uh, give them a little bit of background. Sure, yeah. I'm a professor. Uh, that's my day job. I teach at Gordon-Conwell Seminary uh, at the Jacksonville campus. Uh, and I'm the dean of the campus, which means I'm in charge of just about everything, whether it's taking out the trash, uh, if needs be, or assigning professors, helping students, uh, all kinds of things. Uh, the subjects I teach, I teach theology and history. Um, that's what I'm trained in. And yeah, so my job is to help pastors and missionaries and nonprofit folks and train them for their jobs. That's amazing. And for those who are in Jacksonville, uh, like myself uh, and Dr. Reeves, who are constantly hitting me up, like, is there what seminary can I go to? Gordon Conwell is in town. So in town. definitely, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> for all the Jacksonville people listening, definitely hit them up. Uh, their main campus is in Boston. Main campus, we have two campuses in Boston. The first one, yeah, is in, was uh, just a little bit outside of Boston. Uh, it got going in the 60s by Billy Graham and a couple others. Uh, they wanted to bring together a school of multiple denominations, kind of the way Billy Graham worked. You know, he wants he's about the core of the faith, not mm-hmm. not the exclusion of some groups. And so, uh, I think right now it's 90, 90 denominations from many countries around the world. Oh it's, wow! It's really diverse, um, and, and and really extraordinary. It's global now, even in a way. We have Chinese students, Korean students, uh, African students, people from South America as well as uh, North America and Europe. And so, yeah, it's great. That's awesome. Uh, you recently wrote a blog um, for the Gospel Coalition. You have your own blog on Gospel Coalition's yeah. website. Um, you wrote a blog about Augustine. Mm-hmm. And um, I hit you up a, a while ago, but I think we had missed each other. Uh, but then Cam was like, hey, we got to get Dr. Reeves yeah, <laughs> on, on the podcast. So, that's how we ended up here today. Well, I'm glad we finally got together. That's right. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for um, for agreeing to be talking to G3 today. You bet. Um, so we've got caught up in all the audio stuff we were going over before yeah. we started recording. Um, so I got to get my mind back in church history. Yeah, we were mode. nerding out about audio equipment and uh, how to do <laughs> podcasts. That's right. <laughs> thank you for all your help. Um, so... One of the things we get all the time that is Christianity, the white man's religion. Sure. That's the question we get all the time here at the G3 Project, since our focus is equipping um, the African-American community. Um, Since you're a church history uh, professor, um, how do you kind of dispel that rumor? No, totally. And it's it's something I'm sensitive to um, because I'm a white male. Uh, Probably when I was younger, 10, 15 years ago, I, I probably would have been more defensive, you know, um, not defensive about the race problem, but defensive because it, you know, when you say that, when someone says that, it could sound like you just want to throw everything out. Mm. But I, I've just, I've, I've, I've been listening a lot more, reading a lot more about this uh, and the global issues 
uh, as well as the issues in our communities. And what I've realized is what people are saying is we need, we need to add to that the voice is the, the story is bigger than this. And the thing that blew my mind um, was uh, there's a book out. It's it's not a book I necessarily recommend, but its core argument is great. It's called Lost Christi- uh, Yeah, it's called Lost Christianities of mm-hmm. all things. Uh, Philip Jenkins is the author. He is at Baylor, and he argues. He points out that for most of the church's history, mm-hmm. two thirds of it, uh, it was global. Mm-hmm. What's happened uh, in the time of at least the the years, the centuries you and I would be more aware of, like Luther till now, mm-hmm. is a lot of the global Christianity has been crushed. Mm-hmm. It's been crushed by Islam. Uh, you know, he points out that at one point there there was as as much as forty or forty five percent of people in native Japan were Christian. Mm-hmm. At one point, they were thrown out. Mm-hmm. So there's a global thing going on there. And he, he the cover of the book is awesome. It's from 1561. All right, this is after Luther's died, mm-hmm. and it's it's uh, someone drew a map of how they saw the church in as almost a picture, and it was a flower with three petals. At the core of the petal, at the middle of it, was Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And off of it were three petals, and one said Europe, one said Africa, and one said Asia. Mm-hmm. So here we are, a generation after Luther, and people are self-identifying, not as everything's Europe, everything's Europe, it's all about us, you know, the kind of white man's thing. But we're one-third of the church. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not the only voice. Now, of course, they didn't have email, they didn't mm-hmm. have a TV, they didn't have any way of really knowing deeply what was going on in these worlds. But they knew that, mm-hmm. that the church didn't start in Europe and that it was not in Europe at that time. And what, what Jenkins' book points out is from about that point until the ni- or maybe say 1900 as a, just a round number, mm-hmm. a lot of those places got destroyed. Mm-hmm. So the Christian presence in Asia really shriveled. It didn't go away, but it, it, or, or, and our awareness of it went away. Christianity in Africa th- endured, so the Ethiopian Nubian church stayed, but we knew squat about it. We, mm-hmm. we, we just we didn't know um, what was going on in these parts of the world. So at that same time, those same years, is when after the Enlightenment you start doing African slave trade, you start uh, talking about superiorities of certain races over others, all mm-hmm. that stuff comes into the bloodstream. That was not there in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. People didn't talk that way. But in the modern world, we started to talk that way, the mm-hmm. superiority of, you know, the, the, the European stock, you know, all this Aryan language that comes in, up with Hitler and things. And so it seems, we, what Jenkins points out is we have amnesia. Mm-hmm. It's not the white man's religion. Uh, in fact, Europe was the, one of the last areas to be converted to the faith. <laughs> what, what was the unique thing is they didn't get crushed as, as, as the others did as quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Europe, of course, would not really identify as a Christian uh, area as much now. It's, it's really post-Christian. Mm-hmm. But what, what we're realizing is they didn't have as many onslaughts. They didn't have Islam uh, in their midst. They didn't have kingdoms that threw it out. They had kings and queens that embraced it, by and large. Mm-hmm. They weren't necessarily good Christians, but you know, <laughs> they, they, still, they, didn't, they kept it. And what's happened in the modern world is everything's gone back to a global Christianity. Mm-hmm. African Christianity, South, South American Christianity, Asian Christianity are all booming, we know. Mm-hmm. And people are waking up to it because we have information in front of us. But it, it does feel like, 
you know, my grandparents would not have thought of a global church. They would have thought of it as good old American, you know, predominantly white faith. Mm-hmm. And this is why the KKK and other crazy groups can can identify as white supremacy is Christianity. They think that that's what the story was. It's not. Mm-hmm. And so what's happened is not that we have. I think when you get a little more history and you go wait. These were these were Semitic people who converted everyone else first, uh-huh. uh, and this was there was an African and an Asian uh, and later a South American uh, faith that we just have to catch ourselves up to the mm-hmm. story. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's so good. I think one of the things that kind of perpetuates this narrative is art. Yeah, true. Um, have you seen in, in your church history stories how art kind of plays into that? Yeah, the white man Jesus pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's funny is that's a great. It's actually a great analogy of this because the the white Jesus pictures mm-hmm. are very much twentieth century. Mm-hmm. You you do if you go back and you look at some of the art. Yes, um, uh, sometimes it looks as if they're painting Jesus white. It might not be the case. In fact, in a lot of cases in medieval, medieval art. Uh, one, it's not very good art <laughs> until the Renaissance, but they again they may be painting it in a way that that looks like them, mm-hmm. but they're not self consciously saying Jesus is me. Mm-hmm. They're just painting a human figure as they've studied it. Mm-hmm. In the 20th century, though, um, there's a book that came out in the 1940s, and you, what you have is a lot of health prosperity language coming into the church, particularly evangelicals. Mm-hmm. And they start to come up with this idea that Jesus is the the great example of the good life for us. Mm-hmm. So there was a book in the 1940s that said Jesus was the best CEO. He had you know uh, long, beautiful hair, toned bronze skin. He was muscular. Mm-hmm. All they basically made him out to be almost a sexy guy. You know, they just wanted him to be attractive. And but the goal of the book is to say you too should should be healthy, wealthy, and wise, this kind of stuff. And then there's that very famous picture from the nineteen fifties or sixties of the kind of Buddhist Jesus looking up, you know, off to the, to the up in the sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, he's a white guy with long, you know, brown, uh, brown. I think it's brown, maybe blondish hair. I can't remember. That that one went viral uh, metaphorically before the internet. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that is really bad theology. Mm-hmm. Really, at its best, it's well-intentioned silliness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're trying to do their best. They're just trying to paint. But no, you're right. Some of that art in the 20th century, in particular, capitulated this idea that Jesus is like us in every way, not we have to become like him in every way. Uh-huh. And you know what? What got the pushback was, uh, particularly in uh, non-majority cultures, was why if you're going to go with that, then why not paint Jesus in black as a, as an African American or as an Asian or as a, uh, a Hispanic person? And we've seen that art arise. So I think the the, the basic question is what is the what is the author trying to say? It, are you trying to say that Jesus can be identified with? Mm-hmm. Then then that's you see different colored skin, different like instincts. Sometimes you see Jesus more abstract, you know, kind of mm-hmm. like a cubic thing. Um, but. It's also people have realized that's strange, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. One trying to trying to wrap our Jesus to, uh, up to look like us in any way it can always be a challenge um, because it it makes Jesus tame. It makes us it makes it where we're the one controlling him, and he doesn't really challenge us because he just looks like 
the ideal version of what we think we are. Mm-hmm. And so maybe in the last generation or so, we're, 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 we're really concerned about this in a good way because it's like, look, we need to stop this, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this kind of thing. <laughs> and, you know, you don't have to look far on the Internet to find really bad examples of this type of art. Um, most of the art history, though, and I do really like art history, they're not really doing that. Mm-hmm. So if you look at like a medieval painting of the cross, again, might he have a whiter complexion than a Semitic man would have? Mm-hmm. Maybe, probably. But is that what the art is pointing out, pointing to? No, usually it's the blood. That it's usually kind of gory. You see nails in his hands and his feet, and you see people around him weeping and, and reaching for him. Mm-hmm. So the 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 what the artist is trying to do is not say, "Hey, look at white Jesus," but look at the suffering. Mm-hmm. And they just might have happened to have have missed the the actual historical Jesus. So it's not perfect. It's not mm-hmm. great. But it's different than what you see in the 20th century where it is making him white. It's mm-hmm. purposely making him look like, uh, he, if you're not like this, you're not in. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem, mm-hmm. very much. Yeah, Yeah, the intent yeah. Is, is totally different. Exactly right. Yeah, because, um, yeah. I mean, you know, in a sense, art depicts life. And if you're, yeah. if you're not connected to any other person or mm-hmm. seeing any other person that looks different than you, yeah. you are going to paint. Jesus in a in a way that you see him exactly. But if you intentionally do it, then yeah. that could be used that's to right. oppress another people group. And one of the interesting things is, I mean, there are Protestant and evangelical groups, the Reformed folks in general, uh, Anglicans a little bit, and some others. They actually want no depictions of Jesus. Mm-hmm. One, they think that they, their belief is that the Second Commandment says, "Don't do this. Don't make a picture of God." The, the question is, is the incarnation a lot, make that different? But but they all they will also say now we don't like so if they have a manger scene on Christmas, they, mm-hmm. they won't have a baby in the manger. Oh, they wow. have everyone else, uh-huh. and it's not that they don't think Jesus is there. They, they, what they're concerned about is we do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Calvin in the 16th century said, you know, our hearts are factories for idols. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't you don't have the idol doesn't come to you; you make it. Mm-hmm. You know, so your kids can be an idol. I mean, being a parent is awesome, but. You can be a helicopter parent and make their their world an idol for you. Mm-hmm. So he, what he says is, you got to watch out for this stuff. And so the tradition has always said, don't do it. Mm-hmm. For, and, and what they're saying today is, for this reason, mm-hmm. is you start getting into a fight as to, well, no, he looks like me. No, he looks like me. No, you know, all this kind of fighting. And they're saying, maybe don't make any picture of him <laughs> and talk about the Jesus of the scriptures. Go mm-hmm. back to that. Because that Jesus you can't tame, you can't put on a, on a canvas, and you can't. Um, confused with the real Jesus because mm-hmm. the story there is is you know that, that that's where you need to go to. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that's the answer, I don't know, but it's it's at least good medicine sometimes for the, <laughs> the problem, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's helpful because a lot of people have that question. That question comes from art, sure. Um, yeah, because they see the white Jesus and they're like, oh, okay, yeah. this is you know. The yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. blue-eyed devil Jesus. So. Well, yeah, no, exactly. And I, I think that's white majority culture in America in particular, and evangelical specifically in that culture, are have been slow to catch up to the, 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 the weight of what race is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I was growing up, and I'm, I'm not that old, I'm 37, um, but when I was growing up, to not be racist was to not make certain types of jokes, to not use slurs, and to be nice to people. Mm-hmm. So we were growing up thinking, I'm not a racist. I don't, I don't do those things. So it was a more about what you don't do. Mm-hmm. 
And it's been 15, 20 years now. In, in real, it's sped up, thankfully. And, and white evangelicals are, are, their ears are opening, I think, finally, mine included, mm-hmm. where it's deeper than that. Mm-hmm. It's symbols. It's, it's what you see. It's, how, it's what you expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just on, in art, but how do you, if someone walks into your church and they look different from you, not, not just skin color, but they act differently, they, they're not wearing a, you know, dressed up, the, the, the whole culture, maybe they are, maybe they look differently, maybe they want to hear and sing different music. Well, majority culture, you know, white evangelicals would have said, oh, no, 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 we've we got to get serious, mm-hmm. you know, it's got to be an organ or something, you know, piano, we, can, mm-hmm. we can't have uh, soul music or anything like this going on, or, you know, or uh, someone comes in and, you know, they're, they're dressed um, differently than, the, than their ideal of what a kid should dress like, oh, these kids today, oh, and <laughs> w- they don't realize it, but, but that is a, that's a soft form of racism, it's a soft form of othering, what they call othering, if you, they're different from me, they need to be like me or else they're not accepted. Mm-hmm. And there's, as my boss at, uh, at the main campus likes to say, there are differences and then there are differences. Mm-hmm. There are some where we need to argue about. Mm-hmm. Like if you have a different view of God and salvation, we can, we can argue about that. It doesn't matter who you are. Mm-hmm. But there are differences that should be appreciated. Mm-hmm. But what culture has done in the church is say that we, we, we're not racist because we don't say certain jokes, say certain words. But you have to be exactly like us to be really accepted, mm-hmm. and that's where the art triggers these. Well, I can never be like that for you guys, and mm-hmm. it's it's horrible. But I, but I, I, my hope, I hope, uh, again, I think our ears are opening to the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that helps uh, people kind of see things differently is understanding the contributions of Africans in church history. That's right. Um, I know you've written about this. Um, what could you give our audience some who who they're probably not familiar yeah, with? Yeah, sure. No, uh, yeah, I would say um, uh, the story the, of, of black Christians didn't just start in the 1960s or the 1950s. It started in the 1900s. First and foremost, it started uh, back in the 1700s. <laughs> it started mm-hmm. with the beginning uh, because freed slaves and and. and Slaves themselves were converted, um, and so there is a long legacy of black church in this country. But it goes way back before that. Mm-hmm. It goes back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. the The Ethiopian and what we call the Nubian uh, church experience is, at this point, one of, if not the longest. I, I wouldn't want to say the longest because I, I can't actually verify that off the top of my head. But it's one of the longest. Uh, single strain existing churches ever. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it dates back at least to the fourth century. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might have gone earlier than, earlier than that. I mean, Acts talks about the Ethiopian eunuch, and there's some engagement with Ethiopian culture. Mm-hmm. It, by the way, that church is still around. As I like to point out, it didn't go anywhere. Um, and in Africa, where a lot of the Islamic culture has has crushed uh, Christianity, um, that's a long legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've stood tall uh, there, and so that's one. But then you go back to the beginning. The, w- w- it's a group we call the Church Fathers, and Fathers is just a, a nice way of saying the first guys out, out of the gate <laughs> after the apostles. Um, you get a guy like Augustine. All right, so Augustine. A lot of people might recognize that name, and we got Saint Augustine down the road. Uh, and by the way, you can say both Augustine or Augustine. Uh, a, a professor friend of mine said, "Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. You don't have to, you don't have to be a snob." Yeah. Uh, but uh, Augustine, the reason we have that city is because he's that he's that influential. He's that big. After Paul, he's probably 
he's at the top three of the most influential people after the New Testament to write on mm-hmm. anything. He's a pastor. He's a bishop. He's from North Africa. Mm-hmm. He's actually from the modern uh, area of Albania. Um, and there's a letter he writes where he's, he he has gone. He went on, he went to the big show, you might say. <laughs> so North Africa. There's a couple of things I think to be proud about um, this culture uh, in the early days, first centuries. I always say North Africa was the Bible Belt mm-hmm. comparatively. It's it's the very serious, very strong, committed, sometimes overly committed folks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there was a there was a, a big fight that happened uh, in Augustine's day over there were some priests who under persecution had denied the faith, mm-hmm. and when you do that, you lose your your right to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. And they had repented after they said, mm-hmm. "Look, I was being tortured. I'm sorry." Mm-hmm. And the folks in North Africa, this group called the Donatists, said. Sorry, not good enough. You're not good enough to be our pastor anymore. And Augustine stepped in. He goes, "Look, if you do that, you're going to have a church of one. <laughs> like you can't be that pure. You have to give a lot of repentance." But that's the culture. Is they're like, "Look, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to be lukewarm." Mm-hmm. And it's very strong, committed Christian. It, it had a lot of other religions and things going on too around it. Uh, it was a pagan world. But uh, Augustine grew up in this world. He goes off to the big show, though. He tries to make a career in Rome and in Italy. And he really, he does make it. He succeeds. But then he converts, and he moves back to Africa. He writes a letter uh, towards uh, about the midpoint of his life to a friend. And he says, look, I'm an African writing to Africans. That's, mm-hmm. my, that's, my, that's my mission field, we might say today. And in some ways, I always remind folks, Augustine is universally loved. He's influenced about everybody. But he self-identified as part of this 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 culture, this this focus of North African and, and extending down into the Ethiopian Nubian Church, mm-hmm. and so he's by by far one of the most important and influential folks. Mm-hmm. Um, Athanasius is another one. Athanasius is one of these guys that fights doggedly for the Trinity. He's from he's from a different area. He's from Egypt, but. I always remind people geographically, Egypt is right there in North Africa. <laughs> it's part of the culture. He was slandered because he was fighting for the Trinity when people wanted to fight against it. The, the, the slur against him was that little black fellow, was what they called him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was, it's not exactly the same as, as modern American issues of race, but what they, the, what they were saying is like that little runt of a guy, and they, they, they were saying it's from North Africa, black because he's one of those hardcore Bible Belt guys is kind of what they're saying there. And But here's a guy who fought for the Trinity and is, and is by and large the guy who kept the, the understanding of that God is three in one. It's a mystery. We can't explain it. I always say God is one but he's talking to himself in the New Testament. <laughs> you know, he refers to himself in the third, in the third person. So therefore he, had a tr- he wanted to talk about the Trinity when a lot of people were saying, like, no, let's throw all that out. We don't care what the New Testament says and this kind of stuff. Uh, and it's more complex than that, sure. But so here's just two of the most important voices mm-hmm. that are self-identified as non-European um, and, and don't come from that world. Mm-hmm. In fact, in their day, the European world was either not Christian or it was spitting out heretics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the big heretics was Pelagius, who said that Jesus didn't really pay for your sins. You have to earn it. Mm-hmm. And Pelagianism and all that stuff. He's from England, <laughs> you know. If you want to own your heritage, the first thing, the first English theologian was a heretic, you know, kind of thing. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So there's anyway, there's a long history there, and 
Is a lot of it, this is why that book, Lost Christianity, is so important. Is a lot of it sometimes forgotten? Yeah. Are we, are we recovering that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean, what we, what we really need are more like real popular level, simple books for everybody to read to really own this culture. Mm-hmm. Because it's part of the story. Mm-hmm. And it didn't go away, and we know that now. Um, and there are historians working on it, uh, but you know whether or not it becomes uh, the problem is, is historians usually write books for themselves, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it might not be a page turner. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> but you know, actually, our, our uh, Gordon Conwell at the seminary had a we had a we we sometimes do uh, external courses. So this one, you know, that'll do the Reformation. They'll go go to Wittenberg. They'll mm-hmm. go there for a summer, a couple of weeks. They do one on the Silk Road where they're looking at uh, comparative religions and understanding the global religious scene. But they had one on Ethiopian and Nubian, the Nubian church. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so it's it's something we're increasingly aware of. It's just we got to make these a part of – this has to become part of our story, mm-hmm. put it that way. Uh, the the one analogy I use, I think, for anybody that's listening is like, wait, wait, church, church history sounds you know boring. Um it was just prior to my birth, but when the movie Roots came out, mm-hmm. and, and I used the, the analogies of Roots and Ancestry.com. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my parents and people that are a little bit, old, little bit older than me tell me that you know the, when the movie Roots came out, suddenly everyone's going, I want to trace my heritage. I want to know what, what my great-great-grandfather, you know, who, like which, which of my ancestors was brought over and at what time and all these types of questions. And then you take the sort of wider look at Ancestry.com. Um, I really don't have much of an interest in going and looking up dead people and my that you know happen to be great 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 grandparents. You know, uh-huh. usually what they're trying to figure out is if they're descended from a king or something. <laughs> but there's there are always these commercials for Ancestry.com where someone says like they're holding up a picture and they said, "I didn't know it, but my great great grandmother came over and was at Ellis Island and was an immigrant." And no one, and, you know, they changed her name because she was too Italian or something. Mm-hmm. And you almost, it's like a tearjerker. You're going, yeah, like, th- there's something strange about when you know those stories, even if they're not immediately in your world, you, you know you you know yourself better, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And there's a pride that can come with it. So that, that's what I hope uh, increases, uh, oh, at least over the next couple of decades and longer, is these stories need to come back. I, I agree. Um, that's amazing. So thank you, Dr. Reeves. I think... We've made well of the time. Yeah. <laughs> what would you like to leave with our listeners? Any resources you recommend and any way they could get in contact with you? Absolutely. Um, yeah, to contact me, very easy. Um, uh, the Gordon Conwell site is just, uh, you can Google it, Gordon Conwell, or it's gcts.edu. And if you go to the faculty page, you'll find me there. Um, you can also email me. Uh, the email is r-r-e-e-v-e-s at gordonconwell.edu. Um, so I'm not hard to find. Um, I have a podcast as well. Um, it's called the Theology Cast. Um, a friend and I do that. We talk about we're kind of uh, uh, dumb idiots. We talk about everything <laughs> from Marvel movies to technology to teaching, but then we talk about theology. Um, yeah, so you can check out check that out. But that that's what what I'd leave them with is um, there are really good simple stories that they can dive into and. Um, not if if there are, if the books for generations have been all about you know white European Eurocentric kind of things, we're getting better. Mm-hmm. And I would look at the the book Lost Christianities. There's another book I always recommend people. Usually the first question people have is I know squat. I, I don't you know I took history in high school. I don't remember any of it kind of thing. And there's a great book called Church History in Plain Language uh, by 
by Shelley is, is the name. If you just do Church History and Plain Language on Amazon, you can find it. That book lives up to the name. It, 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 it's not jargon. It's not hard. It's, it's plain. It's just a story. That, that's one. Um, and there are all kinds of things. The other thing is I have a YouTube channel where I have little short videos, 30 minutes or less, on all these stories. And I keep posting them as much as I can. And I've done entire courses on the whole church. And what I'm doing right now is going back and trying to tell these types of stories. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, we're a matter of weeks from the anniversary of the Charleston shooting, and mm-hmm. we're, we're working up a bunch of videos on um, African American church history in the states in America, as well as these things of the, the Nubian church and others. We're, we're working on all kinds of things to help people have a, a simple, ac- uh, I guess, access to these stories because mm-hmm. they should. Everyone should be proud of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Thank you, Dr. Reeves. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. You can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com backslash podcast. You can follow us on iTunes by searching Jude 3 Project. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Jude 3 Project, on Instagram at Jude 3 Project, and on Facebook at facebook.com. Um, backslash Jude 3 project and remember you can donate on our site so if this um, this podcast and this ministry is a blessing to you help support us financially um, by going on our website at jude3project.com and hitting the donate tab um, and donating consider donating to us thank you so much remember at the Jude 3 project we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it